Hello, and welcome to another episode of the B2B Founder Podcast. I'm your host, Brett Trainer. Today, we have a discussion about the human side of the startup world and discuss employee experience. This topic is rarely focused, but could be the difference between success and failure of your company. Gil Cohen joins the podcast to discuss employee experience and how to approach it as you grow your business. Gil's the founder of Employee Experience Design, and he consulted businesses on vision, values, culture, and behavior for 15 plus years before founding his company. Gil recognized early on that the value and importance of great employee experience is a key cog of scalable growth. You need to have a great employee experience to have a great customer experience. We discussed that today, plus why an investment on the employee experience is an investment in your bottom line. Your values are critical to growth and hiring to align with your values need to be a top priority. You can't, have a, you can't afford to have a disconnect in this process. The difference between employee engagement and employee experience, there is a difference and it's a big difference, plus a lot more. As you've heard from this intro, we get really deep into customer experience and why it's so critical. I knew, always knew that the, the employee aspect, especially as a growing company, was important, but Gil really helps flush out you know, why and how you should be thinking about this as you move from one, two, three, you know, five, 10, 15, and 20 employees, and why it's important to put that foundation in early. As a reminder, if you listen and enjoy this podcast, please subscribe on your favorite platform and share it with your friends and colleagues that might also enjoy it. Thanks for listening, and now on to the interview. Hey, good afternoon, Gil. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Uh, it's great to have you. To get us started before we get into the topic of the day, which is around employee engagement and all things employee, which I think is going to be really a interesting and important topic for our founders. Why don't you just give us a little bit of background of what you're doing today with the company, who you're working with, and maybe just a little background on how you got where you are today. So I founded a company, Employee Experience Design, just almost exactly six months ago today. Congratulations. And my vision is to make the world a better place to work. Ultimately, what that comes down to is helping leaders co-create experiences that have better outcomes for both the people and the business. So prior to this, prior to those past six months, I was with a small IT firm here in Toronto as the Director of Employee Experience helping them handle everything employee experience. So employee experience is all of the touch points, all of the interactions a person has with the company. So that's everything from culture, a hand in technology, physical space, all of these things that make up the factors that impact a person's work life. Prior to that, for 16 years, I was a consultant in talent management and uh, HR and leadership, helping organizations write vision and values, uh, write behavioral competencies, behavioral interviewing, succession planning, performance management, that kind of thing. But I like what I do now the best. Got it. That's awesome. And your timing, probably fortuitous, just based on the events <laughs> of the world and how it's completely disrupted the dynamic, good or bad, I, I would argue some of the remote work that's been pushed through the pandemic is actually a benefit to workers, but I've got to believe it's a massive challenge for organizations as they're, they're starting to figure out what are the long-term ramifications. So maybe before we even get into 
you know, from a founder standpoint, when you had mentioned that you were responsible for employee engagement for a company, I don't hear that very often, to be honest with you. You know, we get HR partners, we get some talent management, which means hiring. So really, what, what was that role like and, and why did you make the jump to start your own company? So first of all, to differentiate, it wasn't employee engagement, it was employee experience. Experience, okay. Even so better. the difference between the two is the experience is what people are actually experiencing at work, what's actually happening to them at work. And engagement is an outcome of that experience. So one of the ways that I sort of see things differently than how HR and talent management has over the last 10, 15, 20 years is there's been this drive toward engagement, which is not a bad thing. It's just that how organizations and how people are going about it has missed the mark. And that's why organizations have believed that foosball tables and happy hours are the ways to increase engagement. And this is great for very short-term engagement, but that's all extrinsic motivation. So it's about understanding that it's what the happens during the experience impacts how you feel, how you react, which then ultimately creates the behaviors that you have. So if you as an organization want somebody, uh, want a culture of sharing, well, then you need to engage people and reward sharing. You can't reward knowledge hoarding. So one of the unintentional outcomes in organizations is that they don't realize what they're actually rewarding. So what I helped this company understand was what was the current state? What was happening in the employee experience? Because employee experience is happening at all times everywhere. Right. It's just that it's not necessarily thought about. It's not necessarily considered. Everything's always thought about from the organization's lens. We want you to accomplish this, and this is the way we think you can do it. But that's the traditional mode of leadership, the idea that leaders are expected to know everything coming in, that they have all of the answers. But a lot of leaders over the last number of years have found more and more value in uh, ideas like servant leadership. The idea of creating the playing field for your team to succeed. And that's one of the key aspects of employee experience as opposed to engagement or talent management or HR is that it's looking at it from the employee's perspective, understanding what's the experience they're having and how does that then impact both their quality of life and their behaviors that ultimately determine organizational outcome. Oh, that's fascinating. And it makes a lot of sense as you say it, <laughs> but you're right. Most organizations I've been with, and maybe we'll transition into kind of the startup world now, the people side of it, they're looking for the unicorn that can help them do all sorts of different things. And it's really not until they get to 40 or 50 people that they're starting to think about the employee experience, <laughs> except for to your point on the uh, the foosball tables and the beer and the fridge and those types of things. So maybe that's a good transition to if I'm a, a startup founder, specifically in the B2B world, you know, I may be working with a couple partners, but now I'm starting to grow. I'm bringing on employees. What's the best way to think about this? Because I'm a big believer in building it up front versus trying to rebuild it when you're you're too far down the path. Absolutely. So the first thing I would say is start by being intentional about it, by actually thinking about what is it that we're trying to accomplish and how do we accomplish it. But prior to that, you need to think about what are your values? What are those methods of working, methods of thinking that align with how I want to build this organization? 
So a lot of people love Simon Sinek and he talks about the why and he does great work. Right. But one of the things about the why is you have to understand why you chose that specific why. So I said to you before, my why is making the world a better place to work. But it's my values that may, led me to choose that. And it's my values of whether or not the people who I interact with at work interact well with me or not. So it's vital to start with understanding what are your values? What are you trying to build the foundation of this organization? A few years back when I was working with uh, my old consultancy, we worked with a, um, a factory that was just starting up. They had the space and they had the leadership team. They needed to hire 60 people. So what we did was we worked with the leadership team to help them articulate what their values were, what they were looking for. And one of the keys to that is articulating them behaviorally. Because part of the problem yeah. is they need to be commonly understood and most organizations don't do that. Most organizations will have a word or two about it, but they don't necessarily, people don't necessarily know what they mean. So you need to have clear behaviors and a clear common understanding, consensus around that leadership team of what those behaviors mean. And just as an example, I didn't mean to interrupt you there, but just no curiosity, just so I'm clear on it, because you had mentioned a, a culture of sharing, right? So sharing is one of those behaviors. What are some other common examples? Or, or So the, an example I often use is respect, because respect will come up in a lot of different organizations as the top level of the value. But respect doesn't necessarily mean the same thing from one organization to the next. True. So I've worked with a variety of organizations where some of whom respect means that my boss told me something I completely disagree with, but they're my boss and respect means I listen to what they tell me to do and I go out and I do it to the best of my ability. Other organizations, because of the values of the leaders and because of the values of the founders, respect means that my boss told me something that I think is a really bad idea. I respect them enough to be able to have the conversation and tell them why I disagree with them and why it's not a good idea. Yeah, and so very different definitions. That's right. Okay. Very different definitions. Now, most organizations don't like to admit the former, but it does exist. And you sure. have to be honest with yourself as a founder of only choosing the values that you're actually going to lead with. Because anytime you put values on the wall and then you don't actually live by them, you're just earning people's cynicism and you're creating demotivation for your people. Yeah, that's, that's really good advice. And do you find that the values almost, and personality is not the right word, but if I'm a certain type of founder, isn't it almost my, it would be really hard to define value something other than what's not important to me, right? So it, it almost has to be centered around the founder or is there a way you can do that with the leadership team that expands beyond? Does that make that question make sense? Absolutely, it makes sense. And it depends where you are, but the reality is, is that once people have been hired, once those first hires have come on, they are now dramatically also impacting, not to the same amount that the founder or founders will have and will right. over time, but they're still impacting because every individual who comes on impacts the culture slightly. But the thing you have to understand about values is that if you put them on, the founder always has to live them. So they always need to be things that aligned with what the founder believes. However, when you bring people on, these are now going to be your leaders as you grow. And you need them to align with what's going on as well. Because in tough times, 
It doesn't matter what's written on the wall. Mid-March, many organizations who said they value people fired people quicker than they needed to. Then the rest of the people, the survivors of that, start to question, do you really value people if your first reaction was cutting people to be able to save the quarter's revenue or the quarter's bottom line? Does that really make sense to you? But that's what their values are. Leaders are always going to actually live their own values. Yeah, that makes and sense. And so by being clear on what they are, you can then hire for it. So going back to that factory, once we validated with the leaders, these were the values that they believed in, we were able to hire on that. They hired 60 people after two years, only two of the hires didn't work out. Wow. Okay. One person had to move, move away from the area for family reasons. And after that, there were still 57 people. Now I don't want to credit entirely the values and the foundation. Don't get me wrong because there's also quality leadership. Obviously that went into that, but the fact that they were able to find that many people who fit first try demonstrates the value in knowing what your values are and knowing how to look for them when you're hiring. Yeah, that makes so much sense. And I do think, as we were talking offline a little bit, that a lot of organizations, like I said, I split time between the corporate world and the startup world, and the people side of it tends to be an afterthought. And it just makes so much sense to try to line from the beginning, because at least I've seen downstream, right? If you make mistakes with hires, it's expensive, it takes time, you've got to rehire somebody else. And if you're a startup growing, it's probably two or three X the impact on your business. So is that the, one of the things that you, you're recommending is when you're looking, well, one, define right, the value of the organization. And then when you're looking and interviewing folks, is that one of the top priorities then to make Absolutely. sure? Absolutely. Okay. For multiple reasons. One is that you're able to hire people who will fit the culture and create the culture that you're looking for. Because if your first hire or first hires are because of expedience, because a person has certain skills, but they might rub you the wrong way. Well, like you said, that's going to have that much greater impact than in a larger organization. In a typical organization, a person leaving the organization costs the company one times their salary for the year just because of leaving. Now, I haven't crunched the numbers, but I imagine that would be significantly higher when it comes to among the first hires of an organization. So make sure that you're hiring in alignment with the culture that you're trying to create because that means you're doing it intentionally and it helps you eliminate bias because one of the problems with hiring is that too often people don't know how to do it properly and they make decisions within the first split second of the person walking in the room literally the first split second of the person walking in the room based on biases and the number of times where i've helped organizations implement behavioral interviewing where they came to me after and said we hired somebody who made the interview process who we wouldn't necessarily have thought was going to land the role, but because of the behavioral interviewing landed the role and were a great hire. And you need to be intentional about it because that way you limit your own biases. You don't want to create you over and over and over again. Right. You want people who live within certain curbstones, but then also have that whatever they also bring to the organization. Oh, that's interesting. It makes a lot of sense, right? If, and from both ways, right? I want somebody who wants to be working with me and so trying to find that right fit. So again, let's even maybe take a step back. So I'm a founder of a business starting to grow. I need to start bringing some folks on. We'll put aside for saying who or what role we're going to bring in. But 
if I've never done this before, is there two or three things that I should be thinking about? We talked about you know, writing it down and articulating it. Is there uh, things that we should be thinking about at least from the early days of how I should start to think about this? So there's two sides to it. There's one, I would say, do a little bit of envisioning of what you want your culture to be and understand that you own the creation of that. If you want people to be friendly, you need to create an atmosphere of people being friendly. If you want a psychologically safe atmosphere, and every single person who's listening to this does, because without it, you can't have teamwork, then you need to have the right behaviors within yourself to create that psychological safety. So that's the first thing is envision what it is, the environment that you're trying to create. Be strategic about how you want to achieve those goals of whether it's growth or otherwise, how you want to achieve that. The other is reflection, introspection on what are the non-starters? What are the things for you that, whether it's through your career or if you're an extremely young founder, then just throughout your life, throughout university, throughout high school, things that have punched you in the gut because of how much they broke your own values. When you're sitting in a situation and you're really upset about what's happening and you don't necessarily always know why, that's often the reason because somebody else has done something that's broken your values. So find out what are the non-starters? What are the things that somebody to work with you absolutely must do these things? I'm a person who I like on time people. I don't like showing up for a meeting and I'm the first one there and nobody shows up till five minutes after. Now, there are exceptions. We all have our problems. We all have technical difficulties. We all have meetings that run late. But if that's the norm, if that's yeah. what's accepted, and that's an aspect of a culture that comes out expediently. It comes out because of how leaders make decisions about meetings. But if you want to create a culture of efficiency, you need to make sure that you're demonstrating that value. Yeah. So it's what are the things that are the non-starters and that you know 100% of the time you're going to, to live by. I often talk about the thousand mile rule or the thousand mile test, which is that if you're a thousand miles from home, nobody around you, nobody would possibly know, nobody has cameras around you and something you thought was a value and you have the opportunity to break it. If you still don't, then it's a value. Uh, very good, yeah. So that's one of the important things is to know yourself, know what it is that you really care about so that you can then seek that out in others, but articulate it behaviorally and articulate it in a way that you're upfront with them. When you're hiring, you say, I need people who are on time. I need people who, when somebody makes a mistake, you don't yell at them. And then you need to go and live that. If that's what you're saying, then you need to go and live that. But start with that introspection, start with what matters to you, or if you already have a team, work with the team because they are equally vital at this point and find, work from there to find out uh, what's most important. Yeah, that's so good. And I'm with you. One of my adages is, if you're early, you're on time. If you're on time, you're late. And if you're late, don't bother. <laughs> and also a big believer in the, you know, 30 minute meetings. And if we don't have an agenda, you know, then we're not going to have the meeting. That's still more corporate, but I think it, it applies. And it was interesting. I had Tessa Cordon here. She's the CEO, founder of Intelligence Bank, uh, an Australian software company. 
And we talked a little bit about her hires and she brought in and she was super consistent with the type of people that she wanted to work there, which was kind of quirky, but fun, didn't take themselves too seriously and enjoyed the work. I know that's a little broad for what we were just talking about, but I think indirectly she was doing the same thing that, hey, this is what we want the culture of this place to be. And these are the types of folks that will actually fit in here if you're too serious or can't take a joke. It may not be the, <laughs> the right organization for you. Absolutely. And that's exactly what I was talking about with envisioning what is the culture that you want to create. So she has a culture where I assume she doesn't want button down suits who are all very serious, walk straight to their desk, don't communicate with each other. That's not what drives her because also the thing is as the founder, these are the people you need to work with. Right. These are the people you need to interact with and these are the people you need to lead. So if your behaviors and their behaviors on the things that really matter are already aligned it makes the things you disagree about that much easier because you already have these ground rules of, okay, we make sure we live by these ground rules. And beyond that, let's talk about it. Let's see, let's see what works. Let's have that conversation. Yeah. It makes so much sense. And a lot of the times we talk about, well, customer centric, which agreed, but the more, you know, you as the expert, the more you get an engaged and a, happy employee, that's going to transition down to the customers. And I'm hearing more and more starting with the employee experience, because if they can live the values of the company, they feel engaged and part of the team, they're going to provide that level of service to the customers. So, which is kind of a long-winded way to get to my next question is saying, all right, we're starting to hire. We've got the right folks that kind of fit the model. We, we've taken time, been intentional. Now, what do I do on an ongoing basis, right? Where I may get lost in the day-to-day -day of worrying about the business, the business growing, but knowing how important the employees are, is there some tips that you would have for how do I start to build employee experience into the DNA of my organization, if you will? So one of the keys around customer experience is around voice of customer. The same holds true for employee experience. And so I would actually say that by building the voice of the employee into the culture of the organization, you'll set yourself up well that you actually will need less bureaucracy down the road. Because if you create a culture where managers are servant leaders that have the data they need, then ultimately you'll create the culture you want. So you want to make sure the data they need is coming from employees. So I mentioned psychological safety before. If you don't create psychological safety, you're not going to have trust with your employees and they're not going to give you complete data on what's actually happening. And if they're the ones who are the front line closest to customers, well, there's multiple reasons why you want them engaged in the work that you're doing. One, because like you said, that will create a better customer experience. But then also it's about them bringing out the data to leadership. Because are you familiar with the iceberg of ignorance? No, but it sounds good. <laughs> so the iceberg of ignorance, it was a term coined in the late 80s on a car consulting project that their assertion was that 100% of company issues are known by frontline employees, 70 something are known by their supervisors, something like 30 something of those of the problems are known by their managers and 4% are known by executives. And while I don't necessarily agree with the exact numbers, sure. the concept is dead on. 
Yeah, the concept is dead on that as you move up the leadership chain, there's less knowledge about what's happening. So if you need to create that psychological safety for people to share that information. In my 16 years when I was a consultant prior to this, one of the things that I noted time after time was that the single least knowledgeable person in the organization of what's happening was the CEO. Yeah, it makes sense. Time and time again, because everybody tempers what they say, everybody couches what they say in to make themselves look better because most CEOs have not created that psychological safety to bring that full information to them. When they have that information, they can just make better decisions. Sure. And so that's why me, it's up to founders to create that. Yeah, and I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I had a, a thought. So let's say we've got a company that we've got 20 employees, so starting to grow, but really wasn't intentional about you know the employee experience and we've got some folks. How do I start to rethink or re-engage maybe is the word with the employees. I have to make sure we are creating that culture after the fact. In a perfect world, we do it and we build it from the beginning. But the fact is there's a lot of companies in various forms that are already of certain sizes that they're gonna have to pivot a little bit or redesign what they're doing. How, what's the best way to think about going about that? First, it starts with as long as you have those values and those clear articulation of what you stand for, because clarity is key. That's one of the things about employee experience is that it's always interpreted through the lens of expectations. It's individual because it's interpreted through the lens of expectations. So leaders need to make sure everybody's set on the same playing field, saying this is what we believe in. Because if you haven't articulated what you believe in, then you're going to have employees who are having opinions that may or may not be aligned with what needs to happen. And so that's why starting with those values and then talking to employees in the best way that works for your organization. And every organization is different. Some founders are very close with all of the employees as they're coming on and they can have those conversations. Some are a little bit more removed and it's only the managers. Some they've brought on a people person and that's the most trusted source. But having a person or a group to just start to even think about that, just to add that thought to your leadership practices is the first step in the process. Just by thinking the decision that I'm making, how does it impact my employees? And if I don't know, let me ask them. The example I often use is that Amazon has an empty chair at a lot of its meetings representing the customer perspective. Okay. okay. And they are obviously a very customer centric and they create a great customer experience. Whether you agree with all of their practices is not the point. The sure. reality is in that they do create that customer centric experience. And the same thing I would say is, well, you don't necessarily need to have a physical chair there. Add that concept to the decisions that you make. How will this impact the people? If I make my teams, if I structure my organization a certain way, how will that impact? Because organizational structure is key to employee experience. If you don't want silos when you get to 100, 150 people, you need to understand how your teams interact when they're five people. You need to understand intentionally how these people are reliant on you, how they work with each other. Because if you don't, you're going to scale negative behavior. Yeah. Interesting. 
And I was thinking of an example, you can tell me if it's a good one or not, as we were starting to ramp up through the, the pandemic with ventilators, right? Was at least in the States, that was a big deal. We were at a shortage and a lot of companies went around the clock to start producing these ventilators. And I'm guessing companies that had good engagement or experience from an employee perspective, it's pretty easy to get those folks on board of say, hey, why we're going to have to work extra hours and do this is the core of what we're doing from a company. Whereas another company that was more bottom line driven, it's just, hey, you're working the clock. We need you to come in so we get more of these out. Vastly different conversation. I'm guessing probably could be a very different outcome by the time they're done. Is that a fair that is a perfect example, and it even reminds me of this group that I saw in March walking out of this factory after working crazy shifts making ventilators because they, I'm sure, were engaged with what they were doing and why they were doing it. And so it is a great example of why you need to do these things intentionally because it changes what you're able to accomplish down the road. Having people who are eager and excited and engaged with what you're doing makes change management a breeze, as opposed to coming up with a decision and then dragging everybody in that uh, direction. Another great example along that lines or, uh, during the pandemic was the rush to remote work. Okay, I yeah. spoke to a wide variety of leaders, managers, and employees around that time and one of the things that I found was that essentially it was the rich got richer and the poor had troubles. And what I mean by that was the fact that those managers, those leaders that had taken the time to understand their employees' perspective prior to the pandemic had an easy transition. They didn't feel the need to micromanage. They trusted what their people were doing. Whereas leaders who were micromanagers and didn't trust and didn't care about the experience prior made the experience that much worse. So at a time when the entire world was facing increased stress and increased anxiety, you have managers who are feeling increased stress and increased anxiety, then passing it on to their employees. Uh, that's such a good example. And it's so true. And I think it's changing the dynamic, right? Where we had the personal touch, good or bad, micromanage, right? Everybody's <laughs> in the same physical office and you know I could argue the side that we should have been more remote years ago just based on the type of work that you're doing and quality of life I think you know that cat's out of the bag now so I don't know how certain enterprise companies who want to bring everybody back to a corporate office are going to be able to do so but that's probably for a whole nother episode but I think it was a good segue into one of my last questions I know we're starting to run low on time is Kind of the new, I hate to say the new normal because everybody's using that, but I do think we are going to be more remote based and companies are seeing, I think to your point, the ones that were already had good engagement with their employees and conversations and understood the personal connection with their employees are really going to see the benefits of the remote work and try to figure out how to balance it when we're able to go back on site. And the ones that didn't, right, it's going to even create a bigger delta in what that world. So I think, are you seeing, I'm guessing you are some, seeing some changes on what the, the remote aspect of this versus when you have 50 people or in a startup where you got 20 people in one office, now you may have two people in the office and 18, even more critical from a communication and a communication or somehow I keep going back to engagement. You're going to correct me. <laughs> I will get better, but you know what I'm trying to say yeah. that how do I connect with employees remotely where I haven't in the past 
And I mean, is that a skill set or is it just going back to being intentional and aligning it back with the values of the, what the company is? It's both of those things. It's about being intentional. It is a different skill set. It is an adjustment, but it's also a realization that work doesn't need to be about, like I said, the foosball tables or the lunches or anything like that. But there are a lot of organizations prior to this pandemic that were remote completely prior to this. And they had cultures to their organization. They weren't necessarily all built on virtual happy hours, but they had cultures of success, of productivity, of value, of outcomes. And that's the thing. So you're saying about the shift is that this pandemic did reduce some of the inertia and the shift to remote work. It's different because this hasn't been fully remote work. This has been work from home during a pandemic, which is which is very different than remote work. Because a lot of sure. the people who I know who are remote workers who have been doing it for years as part of their laws, as part of their practices, don't all work from home. They work from coffee shops or offices as they're known. They work at shared spaces. They all will meet at one person's house so that at least they're not alone. There's a lot of ways of doing it but the organizations that have done it have seen a lot of value from being remote. This will accelerate that. This will accelerate the numbers. There are always going to be some people that never want to be completely remote. Right. There's some people also recognizing now that I miss the office a lot. I thought remote work would be great, but I miss being around people. And there's a lot of different, a lot of different lessons being learned depending on what you're looking at right now. Yeah, which it goes back to your, one of your first points, which is being intentional about the values. And if we're going to be a remote-based company and you got to find the folks that are going to fit into that model and that's important to them and adding to it. But I think there's definitely so much value in, in doing this. And it's never too late, right? I've worked for some large companies that is like turning to Titanic in order to do it. But you can start doing it team by team and group by group. But this could be a real competitive advantage for startups as they're starting to scale to get the right people. Again, save time, money, efficiency, Absolutely. quality. A, there could be a lot of money saved and a lot of value saved by ensuring that those first hires meet what you're looking for. That it doesn't result in, in a painful separation down the line because these people's values don't align with the culture that you're trying to create. Yeah. And two, I think if you're, you've already got a larger company kind of tying back off on another point that you may find as you go through this exercise that some of those folks aren't going to be the right fit for the organization. They're going to be happier elsewhere. And you hate to say a win-win, but it could be, right? If it, not- it is. And that has actually happened on multiple occasions with organizations that I've worked with. They've articulated the values and one of the leaders ended up leaving shortly thereafter saying, I was always uncomfortable here. This now articulated why I didn't fit. This isn't the right place for me. And they end up finding somewhere that's a better fit for them. So it is a win-win because when somebody leaves like that, it's not because they were happy where they were. It's a values mismatch for them. And just because the values are right for most of the people in the organization doesn't mean it's right for everybody. And there's nothing wrong with that person. Right. It's just that they shouldn't be leading within that organization. They could be extremely successful leading in another organization. Yeah. Right people in the right roles. Right. And this just exactly. would help that. Just out of curiosity, I'm not going to hold you to this number, but if you looked at enterprise and startup 
what percent of companies are actually doing a good job with employee experience from your perspective? That is a very difficult question because employee experience is complex and dynamic and there's a lot of different aspects of it because an organization could have an amazing experience when it comes to culture and have terrible technology, terrible physical environment. Okay. So there's a lot of different aspects of it. Most organizations or more than 50% of the organizations are doing some things it's not that people are doing nothing and it's all terrible and it all needs to start from zero. It's just that it's not being done intentionally. So it's not getting the outcome. So that's why over the last 10, 15 years, despite the fact that uh, people were chasing engagement, engagement didn't go, scores didn't go up. Although apparently I just read, I didn't actually read the full article yet, but apparently since the pandemic, engagement scores have gone up. But I'm curious about that one. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And I told you I wasn't going to hold your feet to the fire on the number. I'm just again basing on my relative, eh, pretty decent size of companies I've worked for with over the last 25 years. And again, I think 20, even 10 years ago, it was a different world. It wasn't thought of the way it is today or being more intentional about it. So again, for the folks listening out there, please pay attention to this. This is going to save you time, money, make your company a much better organization spend the time doing it up front or if you're in process take the time to go back and align with this now right no time like the present no time like the present the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago the second best time was today exactly exactly so before i transition to my final question What's next for you and the company here in the short term, just out of curiosity? Um, so the thing I'm excited I'm working at on right now is actually a workshop for organizations to help them to find out sort of what is the employee experience perspective? How do you include it in short order? And then what are some of the longer term things that you can do to ensure that you're including the voice of the employee and creating an experience that really is aligned to what the goals that you're trying to achieve? And like you said, no time like the present and walk before you run, but just get started with Absolutely. It. And that's actually a really great point that I want to add that for most organizations, even for a smaller organization, walk before you run, it's an evolution. It's not something that you're just going to flip on your head all of a sudden and just totally change the way you do things, but start small, start with recognition of where you want to be and work your way towards that. Yeah. Awesome. Just about anything, right? Just get started one step and they build the momentum. Again, I want to thank you for, for coming on the program and talking about this. We haven't had a lot of subject matter expertise on the people and the employee side. I just think it's so important. So I appreciate you spending some time. Last question that I ask everybody, it's one thing that you would highly recommend, and this could be personal or professional. I often proselytize this, but meditation. I am big on meditation. People find it very difficult at first, but the value is there. There are many different ways to do it. I read a great quote when I started meditating, which is everybody should meditate 20 minutes a day. If you're too busy, make it an hour. Yeah, that's a great point. <laughs> and it makes you stronger in what the rest of what you're doing. I look at it as exercise for my brain. It makes me stronger in being able to deal with the rest of whatever else I'm doing. That's what I highly recommend for people. Yeah, that one's on my, I want to call it my bucket list because I kind <laughs> of do it half, I don't want to say half-heartedly. I do take time to try to visualize and think about it with some downtime, but it's not 
a formal 20 minute to, is this something you do first thing in the morning or are you at the end of the day to wind down or just whenever you can squeeze it in? It depends. Usually I like to start with it in the morning, but then if I'm having a particularly tough day, I mean, I'm a person who I've dealt with anxiety for many years. So if I find myself dealing with that on a particular day, I will do it again during the day because it helps calm me down and helps me focus and do whatever it is I'm doing, whether it's spending time with my family, whether it's, it's working, whatever it is, I'm able to just do it better. It's awesome. And such good advice. So Gil, again, thank you so much again for coming on the program. And if folks want to learn more about you and connect with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Search me on LinkedIn, G-I-L-C-O-H-E-N. Find me on LinkedIn or my website is employeeexperience.ca. Got it. A lot of good content. Highly recommend that you reach out. We'll put everything in the show notes so make it easier for folks to find you. And post-pandemic, whenever that may be. <laughs> you know, who knows? Love to have you come back on the show and, and kind of talk about progress. And again, you've been living it. So to me, there's a bunch of opportunity for a lot of companies to take advantage. One, it's the right thing to do. And two, it's going to help your business. So again, appreciate the time and the insights today. Well, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Awesome. Have a great rest of your day and happy Canada Day. <laughs> <laughs> thanks. Take care. Thanks, Gail. Thank you.